You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Even if my email address is I'm going to hack you 666 at gmail.com, but my display name is, you know, John Smith, and John Smith is the CEO of my target. What my target will see is John Smith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Romaine Bassett, he's director of customer service at Vade, and he's talking about initial contact spear phishing. All right, Joe, uh, before we jump into our stories this week, I understand we have a little bit of follow-up. Dave, I have opened a can of worms I truly regret opening. Uh Uh-oh. And that is the question of, is it Dave and Joe or Joe and Dave? And we decided (laughs) it was going to be— I have my opinion. Of course. (laughs) And last week we agreed Dave and Joe. But Will wrote in uh, on this topic and said, it's tic-tac-toe for a reason and not toe-tic-tac. It's the A then the O. And he gives a couple of other uh, examples of these vowel uh, re- repetitions, and it's called uh, – it's actually Will, – Will points to this, what he calls a fairly horrible Wikipedia page, and it's called a blout reduplication. Oh, blout. okay. A bl- yeah, a blouts. A yeah. blout. A-B-L-A-U-T. Yeah. Reduplication. Now, I found a great article on it uh, on aceseditors.org, and examples of it are like wishwash. Mm-hmm. Dilly dally, flim flam. Uh-huh. Uh, you see it in uh, a lot of marketing, like Kit Kat. Okay, and, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Tick tock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same sound, but the vowels change, right? Mm-hmm. And it sticks with people. But his point is that it's easier to say the O vowel last, hmm. right? And you usually see that, like in TikTok. Mm-hmm. And, the folks at Kodak would disagree, but other than well, that, Kodak, wasn't Kodak a name? <laughs> I think no. I think no, Kodak Eastman was. was the uh, I think Kodak was the name of. It was the sound of the lens clicking. Kodak. Kodak was. I think. Well, well, legend has. I've certainly read a legend that that's where the name came from, but I'm not sure. Not sure. Yeah, that, might be, yeah. that might be apocryphal, as they say. Could be. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, the issue is now settled. It is Dave and Joe. <laughs> so thank you everybody for writing in. So so now we have scientific evidence. Right. We can sleep well at night. Yes. I was sleeping just fine until I until I opened this can of worms. I see. Okay. Realize what I did. Good. Well, uh thank you Will for uh writing in and settling that once and for all. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump into some stories here, Joe. Why don't you uh kick things off for us? Dave, uh first I want to start off with some good news. Mm. This comes from Trish Hartman at uh Channel 6 Action News, WPVI. Okay. Uh, And she says that Kate McClure, remember who Kate McClure is? Uh, Remind me. Okay. So a couple of years ago, there was this- related to Troy McClure? No. Okay. Only if, (laughs) if only. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. What a great character that was. was. I really miss Phil Hartman. The late Phil Hartman, yeah. Yeah. Um, A couple of years ago, there was this story about these people who- uh, allegedly had a homeless veteran and they were raising money for him and they started a GoFundMe page and got $400,000 donated and then they just took the money and spent it. Oh, yeah. And then he wound up suing the uh, the vet, wound up suing them saying, hey, they took all my money. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it was a big scam. Mm. Well, 
uh, Kate McClure was the uh, woman of the couple in that involved in that scam, and she just got sentenced to one year and a day in federal prison. Oh, okay. So her counterpart got uh, sentenced to 27 months. Mm-hmm. So that is now closed, and she will now be a guest of the federal government for the next year and a day. Okay. All right. Justice uh, is done. That's right. Okay. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah. My story today comes from 1011 Now, which is apparently two uh, television stations or radio stations out west, K-O-L-N and K-G-I-N. Hmm. K-Gin would be a good a good call letter, right? <laughs> this is K-Gin. <laughs> I love you guys. But uh, they're out there in Nebraska. And this is a, a very unfortunate story about a woman in Lincoln, Nebraska, who was scammed out of over, uh, well, close to $150,000. Wow. Uh, it starts with a phone call back on July 11th where a stranger said there had been unauthorized purchase of a laptop on her Amazon account. Mm. You know, I got one of these calls just recently. Really? Yeah, I did. Uh, an actual an, phone call. An actual phone call. Somebody okay. saying there's been an unauthorized uh, purchase of an iPhone on your Amazon account. <laughs> did, you immedi- you- did you immediately say Amazon has no human beings in customer service? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, Amazon certainly doesn't want to talk to you. Right. They do everything they can to avoid it. But actually, when you need to talk to them, you can, if you can navigate that, I will admit that that system is difficult to navigate. But once you learn how to do it, they can be pretty responsive. Oh, okay. But they don't just call you out of the blue. Yeah. Like these guys did to me. And they said, this is Amazon customer service. And I, I said, if you'd like to dispute the charge, hit one. And immediately I hit one. And this guy comes on the phone and he goes, this is Amazon customer support. And I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> and he goes, yes, it is. I'm like, let me, let me know. What's the scam here? What's the, what's the end game? Did you try to get some kind of malware installed on my phone or something? And then the guy just issued a string of profanities. And I go, it doesn't really sound like you're Amazon. No. But, <laughs> that or their training has slipped quite a bit. Right, exactly. It, it wasn't Amazon. I, the, I didn't do my old lady voice because uh, my voice was actually – not in shape. If our listeners caught last episode, I wasn't feeling at the top of my game. That's mm. when this happened. Okay. So, but if, if they call me back again, they will get to talk to Mabel Johnson. All right. Uh, but this woman, uh, who is not Mabel Johnson, is is a 68-year-old woman, and she received a call from a stranger saying there had been an unauthorized purchase of this laptop on her Amazon account. Hmm. Uh, she was then directed to follow messaging prompts and was transferred to someone else who identified himself as a DEA agent. Oh. A drug enforcement agency hmm. here in the U.S. Uh, she was told by this person that several credit cards and bank accounts had been opened up in her name across several states. She was then told to withdraw as much money as she could from her bank, which would be placed into a different account to verify that it wasn't laundered. And according to police, she deposited $25,000 in this other account, huh. which was, of course, in the bad guy's controls. Right. right. So that money was essentially— Transferred out of that bank. Wow. Lincoln Police Department said that the next day she was contacted by a DEA agent, the same DEA agent again, who told her that she needs to withdraw more money. And then she put another $5,000 out. Mm. She was directed to place the money in bags outside of her home and an agent would be by to pick them up. And then allegedly provide her with a cashier's check, right? Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen. The money was just picked up and, and, you know, leave the money outside the door. We'll come pick it up. Mm. The next day, she gets contacted again and is instructed to purchase $120,000 in gold. Physical gold. Wow. 
and is instructed two days later to put that outside of her door, and an agent would come by and pick it up. I, and, I don't. Where Where does one go to buy gold? I don't know. I don't know either. That's an excellent question. I guess it's if you're a gold buyer, you know, you, you just go down to you know gold R gold R us, and you right. buy a block. Brick of gold, but that's just not something I've ever. I mean, I suppose anywhere you, you know, anyone who deals in precious coins and gems and things like that, I suspect you can just buy a block of gold. But I have to admit, I've never really thought about it. I know you can buy little ounces of gold, yeah, but I, I, I don't know where you go to buy those. Yeah, I've, I've seen them. You know, you get the little, yeah. little, uh, you know, it's it's like it's a it's a stamped has a stamp on it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've never bought them because I've I don't know how to tell if it's gold without you know pulling the old Archimedes thing out. <laughs> but I bet the scammers told her where she could, just right. where she could you go You know what? You're probably 100% correct. The gold. Uh, yeah. They also told her, leave that outside your door. Someone will be by to pick it up. And someone came by and picked it up. Wow. Uh, then that's when she got suspicious and called police. Unfortunately, she's now out $150,000. Mm. Uh, but, Dave, this is not an international scam. Hmm. This is a local scam. Somebody nearby has that gold. Yeah. And has that cash. Uh, the cash has probably been moved already. Mm-hmm. But the gold, that's going to be a little bit harder to sell. Or uh, maybe, I don't know. hundred. What, what does $120,000 in gold look like? It's not a lot of gold, right? I don't know. What's the price of gold right now? Let's, no why idea. don't we do this? I'll Google that. So doing a little bit of quick math, uh, that $120,000 in gold is about 70 troy ounces because gold is sold in troy ounces as opposed to a regular ounce. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they're actually different, but that's how it's measured. Yeah. Uh, but that would be, according to Google, that is about 4.8 pounds of gold. So okay. five pounds. Not a lot of gold walking around. So maybe that <laughs> that gold is gone. You put it in your pocket. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's how you get $120,000 to fit in your pocket easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to tell people to defend themselves other than be cautious of the initial call that comes from Amazon that isn't from Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, reach out to your elderly family members and tell them this is not how this works. Uh, nobody verifies that money is laundered or not laundered by putting it into another account. That's right. not how money laundering works. Now, see, that, but that, to me, that makes sense, right? But I sit here and think, I literally spend probably at least an hour a week thinking about money laundering. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, because it fascinates me and how people can do that and get away with it. Yeah. Um, so one thing I, I think of here is like, you know, as my folks were getting up there, um, one thing we did, you know, since we're in an era of, of bank apps, right? Uh, I was able to get on my parents' bank accounts. And set up the apps so if anything over a certain transaction amount occurs, I get an alert. Yeah. So in this case, you know, this woman was transferring thousands of dollars. I would have been notified. Right. About that. Yes. So even as soon if as you pull, as soon as you got the twenty five thousand dollars out. You yeah. Would've... So if it's a, if it's a, even you know, in my case, it's a child, but it could be a trusted friend. It could be a right. You know, a financial advisor, a lawyer. You know, it's just somebody who's not you. <laughs> to be able to have your back right. when something like this happens, as we say over and over again, to just kind of slow things down a little bit. Absolutely. So, so that's something I would recommend. I would agree with that. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have uh, a link to that story in the show notes. Uh, my story this week comes from the Washington Post. 
This is a story written by Heather Kelly. A little different uh, for us this week. It's titled, The Nonstop Scam Economy is Costing Us More Than Just Money. Relentless waves of of sophisticated phone and online scams are affecting people's mental health. So uh, we're talking about kind of the human element of this. Um, The story starts off by a woman named uh, Pamela, uh, who, because she is under treatment for cancer— is not able to ignore her phone ringing. Right. Because she doesn't know. It could be a doctor. It could be Absolutely. a hospital. Just, so she has to answer the phone. Yeah. Cancer treatment is a daily ordeal. Yeah. Uh, you have to be there every day for something, particularly if you're going through radiation. Chemotherapy, not so much. But radiation, you got to be there every day at a specific time. Yeah. And if something's going to change, you need to answer your phone. So she's getting about 20 spam phone calls a day Ugh. on her mobile phone. And, of and she course, has to answer every single one of them. Right. And, and the, to add insult to injury, um, the calls seem to be specific. She says she's gotten calls about funeral insurance. Uh, so Really? Yeah. So I, who, it could be random, but it could also be that— you know, her she's name's on, on, list she's on a list. Right. So this is someone who has a medical issue or something, right. you know, so, which is just ghoulish. I, I agree. Um, it's sick. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the story goes on, talks about how um, the Federal Trade Commission uh, says that uh, consumers reported about $5.8 billion in fraud to them, which was a 70% increase over the previous year. Wow. Um, they checked in with the folks who make the RoboKiller app which is a, a call that screens phone calls mm-hmm. on your phone or an app that screens phone calls. Yep. Uh, unofficial endorsement. I actually use that app and uh, works. it works. <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> it cuts down on a lot of uh, scam calls that I get. That's pretty good. Um, but the RoboKiller folks say that uh, the average smartphone owner will get an estimated 42 spam texts and 28 spam calls per month. So back in 2019, the large phone carriers, uh, they all agreed to start using this technology called Stir Shaken, which I'm sure is an acronym for something. Yes, from the Department of Acronyms. Yes, no <laughs> but it, and that is supposed to cut down on robocalls and spoof numbers. Right. Um, but the smaller carriers yeah, haven't the had to The big carriers are not it. really the problem here. Well, so the bad actors just switch to the small carriers. Right, and we've had stories on here in the past about uh, – not just small carriers, but phone I, – I don't know if they're carriers, but they're like voiceover IP providers. Yeah. They have a name. I, I can't remember what the name is, but it's – the they let anybody have a local number anywhere. Right. And that's where these guys come from. Yeah. So the smaller carriers are supposed to be on board with Stir Shaken throughout this year. So hopefully, uh, you know, that'll provide some relief. This article points out that the Federal Trade Commission has proposed some rules to address robotechs. But it's still making its way through the system. Yeah. Um, Government regulation is slow to react, and the bad guys are quick to react. It's going to be a constant problem like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I can't help but think that there's some kind of technological solution here. Yeah. You know, that that phones are like email in that they're both awful, right? If anybody <laughs> has your email address or your phone number, they can they can touch your inbox or your phone, right? Mm-hmm. They can They can— Maybe you know. Maybe you have all kinds of filters that stop that from happening. But without those filters, they just have access to you. Yeah. Uh, and that, I don't know. I, there's got to be a way, like, 
where we can do some kind of, uh, you know, everybody has to have a public key and a private key. Mm-hmm. And I have to have your public key in my in my phone before I can get a phone call from you. Well, there's, I mean, con- I mean so uh, for example, on my phone, and as you and I have talked about, I'm on uh, Planet iPhone. Right. So on my iPhone, a couple things that I've done, um, I, I only take calls from people who are in my address book. Right. So in order for my phone to ring or to alert me, you have to already be in my address book. So that's step one. That's that's good step one. And that helps a lot. Um, And then step two is, like I said, I have this RoboKiller app installed. And the way that works is when a call comes in, it checks the number against its own database. Right. And so all the users of RoboKiller, they kind of crowdsource it. Yeah. Who can report and say, hey, this was a scam number. And so it quickly gets in their database, and and I don't even see that. It doesn't yeah. even come through. Actually, uh, Android has that feature built into it. Is that right? Yeah. So I get I get a lot of scam likely calls, and I get a lot of scam calls that don't even ring my phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I see a little thing come up that says, "Hey, someone's calling. We're checking it," uh, and then it just call ended. Is right. What I get. So I can't remember the last time I actually answered my. F- well, I can't remember the last time I answered my phone, but uh, I can't remember the last <laughs> phone, time I. Who uses that? <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the last time I answered my phone and actually spoke to a scammer or a call war- or a car warranty person or you know anything like that. The flip side to that is there are calls that I've received that go right to my voicemail, and it is probably someone I would have wanted to talk to, but. You know, the voicemail comes through. I see who it is. I call him back. Right. So I don't consider that to be a huge If you want to talk to him burden. again, you put him in your address book. Exactly. Your contacts. And then they move to the head of the line. Right. So I think we are. We have some tools at our uh, disposal. Certainly the technology providers know this is a problem. So the different platform providers are doing their best to try to help us with this. And then right. I guess you can take it to the next level with a third-party app or something like that. But I I think that you and I are in agreement that we're left scratching our heads as to why the powers that be in the regulatory area have been so slow in making a serious dent in this. Well, I'm not scratching my head as to that because— <laughs> Because you're much more cynical than yeah, me. Yeah, I'm much more cynical, <laughs> and right. I believe that government is by its nature inefficient. And, okay, and, fair enough. And that's okay. I mean, that's that's fine. Right. Um <laughs> you know, there there are things that government's good at, and there are things that our government is not good at. And yeah. this is this is one of the things they're just not good, at. and they're never <laughs> going to be good at it because as soon as they make a new regulation, the bad guys are going to be like, "Well, we'll just get around that regulation." I mean, look at the payday loan business. Right. Governments, state governments all around the country have been trying to regulate those guys out of business, mm-hmm. and every time they change the regulation, these guys just adapt. Yeah. And they they come up with a, with a. With the same issue or the, the, the same product again that just meets the new regulatory requirement. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a very common. I don't know. It's, it's a it's a it's a common problem. Yeah, I think there has to be a technical solution to this problem. I don't yeah. think a regulatory solution is is ever going to catch up to what I'm pessimistic about the ability of a regulatory solution to catch up sure. unless the government does something it's actually very good at and starts punishing people. <laughs> right? Starts right. putting people in prison for <laughs> for calling them, starts getting people extradited to the United States where they can face time in prison in, yeah. in the United States prison for uh, and they can't, you know, can't get out of it. That that that's that would put a stop to it. But I don't know that I want to do that to people, yeah. you know. It's it's Complicated, Joe. It's comp. It's not. It, this is like <laughs> like almost every issue out there, Dave. This is a complicated and nuanced issue. Okay. Well, uh, I will have a link to this story in the show notes. Again, this is from the Washington Post, uh, written by Heather Kelly. 
Uh, We'll have a link to all of our stories in the show notes. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like us to consider for the show, uh, you can send it to us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Alex, who writes, David and Joe, also known as Joseph and Dave. Dave, look <laughs> right here on the table. There's another one of those worms. I didn't get them away. <laughs> that can of worms. I see. They're wriggling all over. Yes. That was a callback to the earlier part. Anyway, he says, I got this email at my uh, that my Apple ID was locked this morning. While I do have Apple devices, my ID is not associated with the emails the scammer sent this to. Ah. However... It appears very real at first. Noticeably, the poor English, rather incomplete sentences, the text is smaller than the verify button. And I could see someone not reading and just clicking the verify button. Mm -hmm. And the sender is not Apple ID. The email behind it is simply just gibberish, right? They just created some Gmail account. I'm not sure if that matters to someone who's panicking, however. It it does not, Alex. Mm -hmm. You're you're 100% correct. Uh, that's that's the goal of this thing. It is just to show you, hey, your Apple ID is locked. Click here to verify, and then they steal your username and password. But go ahead, Dave, and why don't you read this um, this email here that Alex received? Sure. It says your Apple ID has been locked on Saturday, July second, twenty twenty two, for security reasons because of too many failed login attempts. You cannot access your account on any Apple services. Verification is required before twenty four hours to get reaccess your account. The purpose of this email is to ensure that we update you when important actions are taken. The security of your account is important to us. If you don't recognize this activity... What? If I don't recognize this activity, (laughs) what? Tell me. What's going to happen, Joe? I better click that button. (laughs) That might actually be part of the tactic here. (laughs) Right. Right? It might actually be part of the... the, You know, your your mind starts filling in the blanks here. Could be. Uh, Alex was kind enough to send along the the email that, that... the email address that came with it. He had to go to a different page of the email interface to look at this. Right. Because he's looking at this on a cell phone. Yeah. A mobile device. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, indicative of the problem. Yeah. But thank you, Alex, for sending this in. This is great. I hope nobody clicks on the link, and I hope that everybody uses multi-factor authentication with a hardware token to secure their Apple accounts. Oh, you know, that reminds me. About a week ago, uh, I started getting notifications from Apple. Yeah that somebody was trying to reset my Apple ID password. Really? But I have multi-factor uh, <laughs> activated, so... They weren't successful. They were not successful, but I kept getting the reset notice, you know, here's your multi-factor ID, you know, that sort of thing. So I just ignored it, and they moved on. But, uh, you know... One of our listeners probably doing that, Dave. Interesting, I know, I know. Interesting that someone was trying, uh, but I'm glad I had multi-factor, so there yep. you go. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Again, we appreciate you writing in and sharing that with us, and we would love to hear from you. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Romain Bassett. He is Director of Customer Service at Vade, and we are talking about spear phishing, uh, specifically initial contact spear phishing. Here's my conversation with Romain Bassett. So spear phishing initially 
what it meant was a narrow attack, hence the name, right? Because you have phishing, which is sending an email, malicious email to a lot of different people trying to trick them. And spear phishing, which is targeting one or fewer people. I would think that the name, um, the definition rather has evolved. And, and now what most of the people mean by spear phishing is really user impersonation. And this is really what it is about. So someone pretending to be your CEO, your CFO, someone from a supplier, someone from a customer whom you know, a coworker, and that is spear phishing right now. Initial contact spear phishing is a subcategory and it's a trend that we've seen in the past, I would say two to three years, um, emerging and now really being um, very much visible. And initial contact means that when one receives a spear phishing attempt, it's not directly asking for a wire transfer or confidential information. It is rather, sorry, um, establishing your relationship. Hey, I'm stuck in meeting all days. Would you be able to help me? I can only take emails, not calls. That's kind of initial mm. contact. So you don't have the request immediately from, from the hacker, uh, from the scammer, um, but you get someone who's trying to establish a relationship with their target. That's what it means. Now, there's a technical aspect to this as well, right? I mean, when if I reply to an email that's come to me, that, that kicks some things into action behind the scenes, yes? I'm sorry, what do you mean? Well, in terms of um, my email system, perhaps yeah. thinking that now this sender is legit. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, let's get back to that. Yes, absolutely. Some, um, some systems will think that because um, the target, the recipient has replied, then it has to be a legit email sender. So for the hackers you know, um, two birds, one stone, because on the one way, he or she's establishing their relationship. And also, he or she gets, you know, the stamp of approval from whatever email security system might be in place. And, All right, the recipient replied, might be someone they know. It's good. Can you walk us through a, what a typical one of these engagements might look like? I, I'm, I'm here uh, looking at my email, going through, checking my email, and something comes in. What would it look like? Yeah, uh, it's generally... Um, first, it's generally coming from um, allegedly an executive from the organization you're working with. So the CEO, CFO, um, top manager. Um, that's one um, common you know, property of those attacks. And second, it's like a two-sentence email, which mm. also is important for a lot of reasons. But it's like, hey, you know, hey, John, this is Amy. Um, um, I'm stuck in meeting all days or hey, I'm really busy, uh, we need your help. Are you available? So it's one or two sentences. One is saying, you know, they can't take calls, they, they're busy, and the other one, or the other part of the one sentence is asking for it. But it's really, really short, which is interesting also from a technical perspective because any security solution, they won't have to analyze links, attachments, a lengthy text, or many emails because there will be just one. So it's harder for any security solution of any kind to say, all right, that's that's a spear phishing attempt. So I, I'm busy at work and this comes in. And, and of course, I want to be helpful. I want to help, uh, you know, the powers that be at my company. So I reply and I say, sure, uh, how can I help? What happens next? Yeah, that's generally when uh, the target gets the actual request, which, you know, also has evolved over time. Um, back in the days, it was all about wire transfer. So, you know, assume that you are my target, you reply to me, my follow-up email to you could have been three, four, four or five years ago, hey, you know, 
we have this confidential deal. Um, no one knows about it. Please, you know, get this amount of money wired to uh, this account. And here's the routing number. Here's the uh, account number. I trust you not to mention that to anybody. It's a highly confidential, you know, deal or merger or acquisition. That's what, you know, what, what could see um, a few years back. And now it's generally around um, gift cards. Hey, I want to reward our sales team or I want to, you know, reward Sam from accounting, outstanding work. Uh, can you please purchase, you know, three, five, 10 Amazon gift cards, Apple gift cards, and send over to me the, the codes behind them? Uh, thank you. That's, that's the typical. Um, and then you, you get much more advanced scam if it's something that has been, you know, thought of and built and, and the company's been targeted, then they can ask for a very specific, not necessarily, you know, um, financial gains, but confidential information. How about that document, you know, the RFP or the contract with, you know, customer ABC or, you know, the patent proposal that we have. Could you please forward that to me? Um, I'm, I'm with our lawyer and uh, he or she needs to review it, that kind of thing. Well, where, where do we stand in terms of the prevalence of this sort of thing? Is it growing? Yeah, that, it's really interesting. It's growing in two ways. And, you know, you could even, let, let's actually take a step back. It's really interesting mm. as a question because um, five years ago, when one would think about phishing, so let's call phishing what you know we would consider brand impersonation. So Netflix, BOA, um, PayPal. Five years ago, the entire organization would receive a phishing email. And you know, only a handful of employees would receive a spear phishing attempt. And it's like there's some sort of, not necessarily sh- you know, shift, but trends going in the opposite direction, when right now, phishing attempts, only a handful of employees will receive that, you know, M365, um, your account has been locked phishing attempt. Whereas we're seeing more and more employees receiving the same spear phishing attempt. So not only we're seeing more attempts, but also we're seeing more people being targeted by the same attempts, quite the opposite of what we would see with uh, phishing, for instance. So in terms of, of how the bad guys are able to put these sorts of things in place, I mean, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, things being offered as a service, right? And c- can they go in and, and purchase uh, a turnkey way to send these out into the world? To be honest, I've yet to see like a spear phishing, you know, um, SaaS-based service. It is hmm. for sure that, you know, one can um, use SaaS, you know, for ransomware, um, DDoS, um, to purchase phishing kits as well. That is entirely, you know, doable today. Spear phishing, I don't think I've seen it uh, or we've seen it already at, at Vade. But on the other side, it's rather, you know, easy to do because if you think about it, you can use a Gmail address. Right, and anybody can, you know, simply register a Gmail address. You absolutely mm. don't care about that email address because what appears on our cell phone or in Outlook is what we call the display name. It's not the full email address. Mm. So effectively, even if my email address is I'm going to hack you 666 at gmail.com, but <laughs> my display name is, you know, John Smith, and John Smith is the CEO of my target. What my target will see is John Smith. If they look into, you know, the small details. Eventually, they might see it's coming from a bogus Gmail address, but they won't do that because we're receiving so many emails, and it's an important message. We're going to focus on the content, not on the address. Well, let's talk about some of the ways that people can protect themselves against this. I mean, are there? I suspect this is a probably a multi-tier thing. Are, are there technical solutions? Is training a part of this? Yes, 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 absolutely. What's actually interesting is that you can see that you know companies have already did stuff. To protect against spear phishing. Why am I saying that? Well, because 
the wire transfer spear phishing attempt is much less likely to be seen today than it was, you know, three, four, five years ago. Why? Because and it's not necessarily IT security, but you've seen finance departments now, they have processes when they receive such a request over email. In their process, they have to follow up with a call, not to the number in the email necessarily, but to the number they know from the supplier, from the CEO, from you know, whoever that may be. And mm. so we've seen that, oh, those are going down. So why? Because within companies, organizations, there have been more processes put in place you know, in the accounting or finance department against those. So one could say it's training, but it's not solely cybersecurity training. It could be like you know, accounting or finance processes. But back to your point, yes, um, it's a multi-tiered. So it's going to be user awareness training. And it's true that you know, there are not necessarily too many options right now if you're on a lookout for spear phishing training. More and more are becoming available, which is a good thing, right? But it's more, uh, today, sorry, it's mostly around phishing um, awareness training, not spear phishing, but it's getting there. It's getting there. So that's one. And two, it's going to be, you know, whatever cybersecurity tools you may have. And definitely, because of the nature of the threat, AI um, is important. And why am I saying that? We're talking about one, two emails, no links, no attachments, two sentences. You know, and you need some sort of intelligence, some sort of thinking to be able to understand, oh, hold on. It's not coming from John Smith, the CEO. It's coming from an outside email address. And it's not the personal email address of John Smith, the CEO, who's sending it over from Gmail because, you know, he's calling out sick. It's someone pretending to be John Smith, the CEO, sending from a Gmail. It's not about him or her being sick. It's about, uh, you know, something that is important, something that is urgent. And it's not necessarily the same signature than John Smith would use. You know, the, the small signs that eventually lead to, oh, okay, there are too many of those, you know, low hanging, you know, low signals that, the AI is going to pick it up. Is it fair to say that anything involving gift cards should be a, a big waving red flag to, to anybody in an organization? That, yeah, that's 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 a good point. Indeed. Or at least, you know, follow up with a call or, you know, email the email that you know, but definitely. And, you know, to not to go on a tangent, but there's other variations to that. So we talked about the wire transfer, the gift cards, and there's another trend, which is uh, banking information updates. So the spear fisher will impersonate an employee, and not necessarily the CEO or the CFO in that case, any employee, and email the HR team or the accounting department right before payroll and say, hey, you know, I just switched banks. I've closed my former bank account, so it's no longer available. Here's my new, you know, routing number, account number. Please wire um, my next, you know, um, salary to this account. Thank you. And mm. it's really tough because no gift card, no wire transfer, and you know, so that's another trend. And you, that's where you see also that hackers, they're more and more creative. They always find a new trick, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what are the take-homes for you? I mean, what do you want people to take away from this information that you put out there? Yeah. Um, I mean, in general, always lean on the cautious side of things. And, you know, better thing than rush. So that's one. Do not reply immediately. Do not take action immediately. Um, especially in, in, you know, today's world when where everyone's working from home, like you can ask your colleague who is right there, hey, can you look at that email? It seems strange. You're by yourself, you know, um, in your kitchen. So take some time. That's one. Two, put in place processes. Processes, and we've seen a million of examples where actual processes in the accounting, you know, team or our finance team saved um, from a disaster because those guys, they had put in place, you know, 
follow-up calls or specific criteria for you know emails requesting wire transfer, requesting uh, banking information update, and you know the spearfishers were not aware of those, and their request you know would fell short thanks to the processes in those departments. So it's not necessarily close to cybersecurity, right? But it leads to a better cybersecurity. And then train, train your employees, you know, train people you work with. And, and I guess, you know, put in place solutions, of course. And the last one would be, you know, be on the lookout. Because what I'm telling you today, you know, maybe in a year will be completely relevant because those guys will have come up with more advanced or more creative ways to get to your employees and to get them to reply. Joe, what do you think? I want to open up by saying that jargon is great because it allows for the quick communication of complex ideas. Mm. But it can also be a barrier to understanding as well. Mm -hmm. So let's refresh some terms for our newer listeners who may not be familiar because we do run a show here that is not really, really technical. Yeah. Right? So some listeners may not have a technical background. Right. Fishing, as Romain said, was just a broad casting of nets out you can think of it like fishing with a net. You're just throwing a, a one email out to to hundreds, thousands, millions of people. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a derivative of that called smishing, which is doing the same thing but with a text message. Right. And the S, the smishing comes from the SMS. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I still think it's kind of the same thing, fishing. Um, and then there is uh, spear phishing, which is where you're targeting the individual user and you're crafting a message just for one person. Uh, and it's a great analogy because you are actually – thinking about it differently, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're Rather than throwing your net out and seeing what you get, you're going after one thing in, in particular. Sometimes you'll hear this referred to as whaling as well. And the distinction there is that when you're whaling, you're actually looking for a bigger fish, even though whales are technically mammals, not actually fish. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so there's the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, the I, I like one of the things he says, uh, it starts off is, impersonation is a tactic that's frequently used in these spear phishing attacks. It's also frequently used in broad phishing attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the initial contact that's used to, in an attempt to build this rapport. And it usually comes from some big wig and it's short, right? Hey, are you available right now? Uh, this is the method that got me in the story that I hate telling. Mm. But because we have so many courageous people, so many stories on this show about courageous people that come forward and tell their stories, I can't sit here and go, no, no, this never happens to me. I have to, I have to continually tell this story for now, from now until the day I die. Yeah. About the time I got an email that looked like it came from my boss, Dr. DeBurra at, at JHU, and it just said, are you available? Mm-hmm. And I instantly grabbed my notebook and I replied to it and said, yep, on my way. And went down to his office where his office was dark and he wasn't there. And our admin, our chief of admin comes out and she looks at me and goes, I think that was a scam email. Oh. And I was like, ah, <laughs> got me. <laughs> right. They got me, Dave. Yeah. I like to think that had had that gone on, I would have realized it was a scam because it was probably, we were getting hit with a lot of gift card scams at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I probably would have gone, oh, this is a scam. I hope that's what would have happened. Yeah. But I don't really know, yeah. right? Because I didn't go through with it any right. further. Uh, and once it was reported, our email team blocked the blocked the email and they couldn't send messages anymore. Romain talks about the the confidential deal. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a technique that is common in a lot of social engineering attacks called isolation. What they're trying to do is get you to not tell anybody about it. Mm. Uh, 
one of the best defenses against this kind of attack is policy, good policy and training on that policy. Yeah. Uh, your, your technology is not going to do a lot of good once somebody is in direct communication with your employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, your employees had better know what the policy is and, and be trained in, in acting on it and know we don't do confidential deals. Or if you do confidential deals, you still have to talk to somebody else about it. Right. There's no such thing as a confidential deal that only the CEO and you know about. Right. 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 That's that's never going to happen. Um, I'm I'm glad to see or hear Romain say that there have been some policy updates that have stopped this kind of attack from happening uh, because companies have lost huge amounts of money from this business email compromise. If someone gets into an into an an email account. Uh, that is owned by somebody at uh, a big wig at the company, which is one of the biggest targets of of these kind of attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they start sending emails from that person's actual email account. Those losses can be in the millions. I mean, they can be huge. So companies are adapting to that, and and they are um, they're putting policies in place that prevent that. And Romaine says that they're going down. Yeah. Um. I. I would like to see that uh, in the crime statistics. Um, you know, I, w- I would like to see the next crime report. I hope that he's right there. Yeah. Um, once again, in the interview here, we hear about the same thing we heard about in the catch of the day. I love it when these things kind of serendipitously weave together, right? <laughs> right? I was talking about mobile devices and the uh, and and the limited real estate. You don't see uh, the name, the email address of the email you get on your phone. Just like Alex's email, it said it came from Apple ID, but he had to click through it to show you the 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 gibberish email mm-hmm. that was coming from some you know third party mailing mail provider some web web based mail provider if you don't click through and look at that if you don't take that active step to do that you'll never see the email right you'll never see the email address because the real estate on the phone is so limited as compared to our uh, as compared to our computer monitors, how big is that monitor you're looking at, Dave? It's enormous. Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's probably uh, oh I don't know, 80, 90 inches, something yeah, like that. Glorious, it's big, yeah, right. yeah. It's round too. <laughs> it wraps around. Yeah, I got uh, I there was a, a local IMAX screen that was shutting down, so ah. I went and I got a good deal. Yes, and uh, installed it here in the office. But it is very hot in this room, though. It is well, you know, what are you going to do? 4K <laughs> projection generates some heat. Yes, but, it does. Uh, but I like it. I like it. Romaine's final point is very important. These bad guys are going to adapt. Uh, he says that everything I'm telling you now is probably not going to be valid in a year. Mm. I, I don't know that that's 100% true. A lot of the, the general underlying principles are going to be the same. But he's 100% correct that tactics are going to change. They're not going to be the same next year. Yeah. It's going to be some other lure, some other hook. It's it's going to be something different. And what it is, I'm not exactly sure, but you know, it's going to be along the same lines of, hey, I'm the boss, you got to help me out. Yeah, and I I guess the hope is that as we chip away at their opportunities that w- will there come a time when they decide to move on to something else, you know? And I don't know what that something else yeah. will be. Well, they they will probably never stop conducting themselves as criminals. No. There will probably always be a criminal element out there. Right. And, and there are places where the money is. Right. So they're going to target those places. That's right. But who is the the bank robber that said, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to say Dillinger, but I don't think that was right. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's, you're right. It's probably never going to end, but maybe we can Make it so much of a nuisance for them that yes. uh, the, the the folks who get hit with this are few and far between. Yeah, that would be best. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to Romaine Bassett uh, for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. 
That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. We want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpeep. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.